what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, we're going to focus on how you can protect your ideas, your products, your brand, everything, all your assets, as we'll be joined by Bobby Klink, an intellectual property attorney for entrepreneurs and innovators located in Washington, D.C. And we'll also end our episode with our favorite Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll throw some small businesses at you that you should be checking out. Welcome. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. And my normal sidekick, Gary Muller, is not with us today. He's, he's actually working uh, in, in Greensburg, North Carolina, uh, with our Skills USA program. But I'm very happy that I've got a, a stand-in co-host, Byron Hicks, who is the regional director of the Small Business and Technology Development Center. Uh, he's associated with Appalachian State University in Boone, and Byron's got an office here also in Hickory, North Carolina. Byron, welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, and thank you for being our co-host today. Well, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you having me today. Tell you what, can you, you know, I, I know what the Small Business and Technology Development Center is, and our listeners, or, or some of our listeners, have probably heard you on our podcast as a guest before, but why don't you tell people what the SBTDC, the Small Business and Technology Development Center, is and, and what it does? Okay, Jeff. Um, the SBTDC in North Carolina is part of a national organization, which is the SBDC, the Small Business Development Centers across the United States. They're in all 50 states and several of the territories. Our organization is funded in part by the Small Business Administration and then matched by the state of North Carolina, uh, funding-wise. And then we're hosted through the University Network. So we're the largest intra-institutional university center um, connecting all the universities. We have 10 centers across the state hosted by all the uh, University of North Carolina system host colleges. Okay. Well, and, and that sounds like you've practiced that before and had to, to share that with people. I've had to one. share that a few times. But, you know, our, our main goal is to help small business in North Carolina, and we do that primarily through one-on-one confidential counseling and coaching. Okay. Well, I and very much appreciate you joining us today and, and uh, being here on our uh, podcast. We're, we're sitting here in beautiful North Carolina in late April. You know, we're inhaling much pollen and, and sneezing and sniffling, so... Uh, but uh, the flowers are blooming and our eyes are watering, and we're glad that you're listening with us today. We're also very happy to be joined by Bobby Clink. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Bobby is a best-selling author and intellectual property attorney who helps entrepreneurs, startups, and innovators harness the power of their intellectual property rights and reduce exposure to lawsuits or brand challenges in the marketplace. Bobby has his own legal practice in Washington, D.C. He earned his legal degree at uh, Harvard University, uh, did his undergrad work at the University of Texas, Austin. He's got a couple of books out there, one titled The Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook and another called Patent Litigation Primer. He's currently working on another book to provide entrepreneurs with an overview on how to craft an intellectual property strategy from start to finish. So, Bobby, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you got involved with the intellectual property work. Well, it's kind of a funny story because, like a lot of attorneys, 
I didn't have a grand plan to become an intellectual property lawyer. I kind of stumbled into it once I'd been practicing a while. Um, I, I Straight out of law school, I thought I wanted to handle uh, appeals, post-trial work, just very high-level commercial work, and that's what I did. But then I found slowly but surely that I needed to specialize or focus in an area, and I also wanted to get to a point that I was advising people rather than handling things after a dispute came up. And so that's what kind of led me down this path. And really, I fell in the area working at another law firm where I got handed a patent litigation case and they said, here, take this and run with it. And so I learned patent litigation while I was in a case against one of the biggest firms in the country with a team of about 10 lawyers on the other side. So it was a trial by fire. Okay. And and now, uh, you know, it sounds like most of the work that you do is with uh, entrepreneurs and folks that are getting involved in business. Yeah, that's what I do well in my planning business. I also handle litigation, which tends to be on behalf of bigger clients just because litigation is very expensive. So uh, hopefully small businesses don't find themselves in lawsuits. But on the planning side, I work with uh, everything from a beginning entrepreneur up to a mid-level company that doesn't have in-house IP counsel, basically. And basically my role is to be a chief IP officer or chief IP counsel, uh, but not employed by the company directly. Okay. Well, when, when you're starting to do your work with, um, new businesses and new business owners, uh, what are, what are some of the, the, the biggest or expensive legal mistakes that, that you see that perhaps they should be thinking about or be aware of as they're getting up and running? The first mistake I see is, is actually not IP related. It's that way too many companies don't have the right foundation documents. So they're a partnership, but they don't have a partnership agreement. Or they're an LLC with multiple members, but they don't have an operating agreement. And so that is just a recipe for disaster and is going to lead to conflict down the road when there is a disagreement. And so the first piece of advice I give to all business owners is get your agreement founding documents in order and get them in writing and do it today. And, and, and when you talk about uh, partnership agreements or operating agreements, um, what, typically what are the things that uh, owners should be thinking about covering in there? I don't know if there's like a, if I should go out and Google a partnership agreement and see what comes up or, or, or is the question, it depends. But I mean, what, what, are the, what are the sort of issues that are going to get covered in those sort of agreements? Well, there's a lot of issues. Uh, part of it is who owns what, what each person's responsibility is, uh, what are the exit options or the exit requirements. Uh, so things like what happens if a partner dies, what happens if a partner wants to leave, all of those issues. And, and those really are the biggest pieces. But my advice is go to LegalZoom. You can get a contract that's specific to your particular situation, probably for 100 bucks or less. And it may not be perfect, but it's better than nothing. Now, now wait a second. I'm not used to lawyers telling me to go out <laughs> to LegalZoom. I mean, uh, that, that sounds like a very, you know, that's like when I go to my insurance guy telling me I don't need all the insurance. Now, come on, Bobby. Is this really the way to go? Look, if you, if you have a very complicated company structure, if you're moving towards venture funding, if you're doing something like that, 
you need to work with a business lawyer to get a very in-depth agreement in place to handle those things. If you're starting out, don't spend $400 an hour on someone like me. Go get a contract that's good enough for now and spend your money on building your business. Well, I think the key you said there too, Bobby, is find a business attorney if you need to. We have too many of our small business clients come in and say, can I just use the guy that just closed my house? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and the advice I would give so is what I think is most helpful is – to work with an attorney on strategy, on, on big picture issues, and then you can do the execution. And, and in my IP work, I do the same thing. I, don't pay me to file a trademark for you. That makes no sense. We can go get a, a company that will do it for 100 bucks, and I couldn't even come close to competing with that. And, and so the idea is if you have an attorney that provides you the strategy advice, you can find much cheaper ways to actually get the documents and get that kind of the, – the just – Menial execution tasks taken care of. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that whenever you know, I'll, I'll speak for for Byron as well. But I, I know that when folks come in that are just in the startup phase or just getting started up, you know, one of the things that we're always very cautious about is making sure that they manage expenses and preserve their capital. So, so. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's pretty good advice, and that uh, you know, paying the for the most professional or, or the most expensive professional advice is not always the way to go. That, that you have to call your shots and figure out when you need to uh, uh, engage uh, those professionals, as opposed to things that you can do more economically in other manners. So, so, so we like that advice. <laughs> well, um, I, I just look. There are a lot of people who would try to get clients to pay them money they don't have and that's just not in anybody's interest so i I agree with you i've got my own business i've had to bootstrap marketing and a bunch of other things so i can relate and i definitely want to steer clients and potential clients to spend their money wisely well well talk to us a bit about uh you know give us a little bit of a primer on intellectual property and and what uh, new businesses should be thinking about protecting it. When they should be thinking about protecting it, and um, you know, how, how do you, from a planning and from a strategy perspective, how do you how do you uh, talk to to business owners about that? Well, what I would say is, let's start with what is intellectual property. I, I like to define it as any piece of property that you can't hold in your hand, and it's not a piece of dirt. So everything else is intellectual property, and there's really four areas to think about. First is inventions, and that's patents. So patents cover any novel, non-obvious invention. It can be a new product. It can be a new process of doing something. It can be a chemical compound. It can be really any type of new invention. But I would say patents get way too much attention. They're the most expensive form of intellectual property to get. They're the hardest to get, and quite honestly, 95% of the time, you're not going to see a dime from having a patent. So you should think carefully before going and getting a patent. Uh, Again, a good intellectual property attorney will advise you when it's worthwhile and when you should just say, no, that's not worth doing. The the second type of intellectual property relates to branding. Uh, So it's trademarks, trade dress, and similar – And that covers anything that designates the source of a good or service. So think your brand name, your slogan, 
logos, your logo, anything like that, that someone could look at and immediately say, ah, that's, you know, that's a product being delivered by Clink LLC. So again, their trade dress has to do with the look of your product. So if you have a very particular packaging that you use for all your products, that can get protection as well. In a lot of ways, that's probably one of the most important things for new businesses to think about, both from the perspective of protecting their own, but the other piece of it is when you choose a name, and this is kind of one of the big mistakes I see people make, you need to make sure that someone doesn't already have a trademark for it. Because if you don't, you're going to spend time, money, effort building your brand, and if you get to be successful – the trademark owner is going to hear about it, and they're going to send you a letter, and you're probably going to have to stop using the name at that point. So that's a big mistake a lot of businesses make, and it's easily avoidable. You can run a search um, on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website for free, and you can also just go into Google and, and see if anybody else is using the name. The third area of intellectual property is creative. <coughs> works so this is copyright most people know about this they think movies books um songs but anything that has some level of creativity and is it just a um uh, just a collection or compilation of data can get protection so if you're a small business and you have uh, white papers or anything like that those are protected by copyright software is often also protected uh by copyright and, and is that stuff automatically protected, or is it something that we need to send into a federal office to to get the the actual copyright protection so we can put that little C on it? Well, so you automatically get copyright protection as soon as it takes fixed form. You can register it as well, which has some benefits, uh, including, for example, if there's copyright infringement, um, the statute has some rights to statutory damages, and, and meaning you don't have to prove certain things. That is generally those types of uh, plus sides are only in the case of registered. But for most things, you don't need to do it. I, I wouldn't register my website. I wouldn't register white papers. You know, If you publish a book as a self-published author, yeah, I, I would do it. Um, most services will offer a, a, an availability or for 50 or $100, they will go ahead and register uh, your copyright on a book. So you should definitely do that. And the final area of intellectual property is uh, what's called trade secret law. And it protects any confidential, valuable information that you take reasonable steps to keep confidential. The classic example is the recipe for Coca-Cola is a trade secret that's been kept for over 100 years now. And as I understand it, the written copies are in a bank vault in Atlanta, and fewer than five people even have access to it. Most people don't have to take that level of protection, but most people do need to take steps to protect their trade secrets. And the common examples for most businesses would be customer lists, uh, any kind of CRM data, or anything like that that you've compiled over time. So, so is in is that some sort of uh, a filing or registration, or is that? You know, it sounds to me like if uh, the, the fine folks at Coca Cola have it locked in their bank vault, uh, the likelihood of Byron and I getting to it not too not too likely. That's right. It, it, there's no filing for a trade secret. It's purely uh, if you take reasonable steps to keep it confidential, uh, and someone gets a hold of it through some way they can't use it 
So the, the classic example of this is, is it stops a former employee from using the information they obtained while working for you to compete with you. So you would want to have confidentiality agreements with your employees that say you're not going to use any confidential information you learn here for any purpose other than our business. And if you have those types of things in place and you keep things um, generally locked up when they're not in use, you'll get protection and, and it's automatic. So, so now you, you've laid out sort of four different areas that uh, businesses should be thinking about. Something you said when you started talking was from a from a patent perspective. Uh, I think you said ninety five percent of patents don't actually end up generating any income. Is that did I did I hear that correctly? You did, and I can't guarantee that statistic, but I, I've heard it multiple times. And it rings true to me. Well, and, and it seems like I've heard the statistic might even be higher than that in, the, in terms of all the patents that get filed, how many actually get to a point where they're generating uh, uh, sales or, or, or come into commercial production. But they, That's right. They look really nice framed and hanging on the wall in your <laughs> office. <laughs> That's right. They're a vanity project. Like <laughs> so um, it, it, one of the things that drives me nuts, I see all these ads on TV for services that are basically trying to sell people on the notion of, hey, come, you know, use us to get your patent. And, you know, those those entities obviously have an interest in trying to convince you that you're going to make millions of dollars. Uh, but I would be wary of it. Um, anytime someone wants you to pay them money and is saying, hey, on the back end, you're going to make a bunch of money, you should be wary of it. You should think twice. Well, I, you know, to, to me, the challenge becomes if, if I'm if I'm starting a business, I, you know, I guess I look at it in two different ways. Number one. In, in terms of con- contemplating whether I should patent something, uh, you, you know, I've got the challenge of am I better off getting to market as quickly as I can and making money while I can? And that is it, you know, I, I hear stories, I, I don't know if I'll call them horror stories or not, that someone can, can look at my product regardless of whether I've got it patented, make a few modest adjustments to that product and, and knock it off in a way that maybe goes around my patent. So I'm better getting it to, into the marketplace quickly. So I guess that's one thought process there. What's when, how do you how do you respond to that one, Bobby? Well, I would say it depends on what the patent is. If a patent is well drafted, it will be hard for someone to make some minor changes. But what I would say is that most patents actually they become valuable years after the fact. So uh, most of the patents where you see are being litigated today are inventions from 10, 15 years ago. And they were way ahead of their time back then, but now they are pretty much standard practice. Um, And so those patents often become so essential to how we operate today that you're not going to be able to get around them. But if you get a patent on a mop, for example – you're probably right. Somebody will probably be able to design around whatever you had as your actual technical description of the mop and be able to uh, avoid infringement. But so the, the, really it comes out it depends is the answer. We've heard that from lawyers before. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's the typical answer from a lawyer. Well, I, th- I think that uh, Byron and I give that out to our clients as well. That's we that, do yeah, the same that, thing. That's a, that's a standard answer. So. 
So I, I guess the other thing is what I might call the Shark Tank effect, in that, that you run into people who are big fans of the Shark Tank show, and, and they've heard the shark say, well, you know, unless you have a patent on this product, do you really own anything? You know, what am I buying into? You know, what, you know, what, what do you own you know, that I can't go out and, and replicate on my own? So, you know, is, that, is there another strategy question there that ultimately my goal is to, to sell my idea and, 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 you know, go live on the beach somewhere or, or, or you know, whatever it might be, but to, to, to create value in my asset? So what, is, is that a point where people should be thinking more hard about uh, uh, going, going ahead and proceeding with the patent? Well, what I would say is, you do have to have something that is either proprietary or gives you an advantage if you're going to try to raise money or sell your company. But that doesn't have to be a patent. It could be that you have the perfect name that's been trademarked. Again, go back to the dot-com days. Pets.com, for example, made money basically because it had the perfect domain name. That's harder now because most people uh, can't get necessarily the perfect domain name. But a really good trademark can have value. But it might also be that your advantage is your management team knows the area, has relationships, and so that is part of the value. Your value could come from your customer list or from your leads list or from something like that where you can show that you can acquire a customer more cheaply than other people because of your built-up advantage. But you're going to have to have some advantage, but it doesn't have to come from a patent. So you think if you had a small business owner that, or someone that was getting ready to start their business and they've got you know, $10,000 that may have to go toward a patent, there's a good chance that $10,000 could move the business down the road in a better um, case scenario if they spend it on marketing, spend it on customer acquisition, just depending on the product and the, and the market, I guess. I think that's often the case, but it's, again, very fact-specific. There will be some patents that are going to be worth doing. Um, what it often makes sense is to file a provisional application for a patent, which you can do relatively cheaply. Again, I would advise you, if you're going to do it, work with an attorney at least for review purposes because your provisional is – only useful up to the point of what it discloses. But so an idea is file that, and then you have a year to file an actual application. So you can see if the company is getting some traction. And if so, maybe then you go forward with filing the patent. So, you know, and, and you know, just give us some sense in terms of the cost to, to file, you know, whether it be uh, a patent, uh, a provisional patent, utility patent, uh, you know, trademark application. You know, if I'm an entrepreneur or starting a business and am, am, am doing some budgeting, you know, what, what sort of numbers should I be thinking about as I go forward there? A, a provisional application you should be able to get done for a thousand bucks. A full utility patent. The application may not be uh, horribly expensive, but you're going to need to budget at least $10,000, if not more. But that will probably be spent over a two- to three-year period. So you're going to file the application, and then you're going to wait a long time before the patent office does anything. And then once they do something, you or your attorney is going to have to respond, and there will be a cost with that. 
and then often you'll wait another three to six months and then there will be another cost. Um, so it can be uh, – it can go over many years, but you'll probably spend about $10,000 in a typical patent application. And, and what about if I wanted to trademark my name or – um, uh, brand or logo or something like that. Uh, how expensive a proposition is that? So, a trademark you can get done for under five hundred dollars. That is uh, within a single category. So, you basically get a trademark in various categories of commerce of what your line of commerce is, and you have to pay a fee for each one of those uh, categories you file in. Uh, so the fee, I think, to the government is somewhere around $250. You can find companies who will do the application process for $100 to $150. So it's four to $500. Uh, again, if it gets rejected and there are problems, you'll have to pay for a, an attorney to respond to those things. But if it's not a problem, if it sails straight through, you'll be looking at about $500. And and when you were talking about uh, trademarks, you know, every, every now and then I'll have someone come to me asking about I don't know if catchphrase is the right uh, the the right terminology or or you know some sort of sub branding. I mean the you know Nike's the brand, but a lot of us when we think of Nike, we think of just do it. You know uh, you know in terms of that sort of phrasing, that's something that can also be covered under trademarks. It can't. Uh, if, if it's something that designates where or, or who the source of the good is, and, and that means if it's a slogan associated with your brand, it is protectable. Uh, again, you'll have to meet all the requirements of showing it's not just some generic statement, but if it has something that's not generic to it, it's definitely protectable. And to give you an example – uh, I was in the process of starting a beer company with some friends at one point, and we had a, a, a slogan. Um, I think it was old world tradition, new world style. And we were filing a trademark on that as kind of a, a slogan or catchphrase. How'd the beer business go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got sidetracked by my law business and, and actually, unfortunately, some professional some good professional things for my partners that meant they couldn't actually participate and then a, a bad personal uh, accident for one of my partners which which created some difficulties it's still out there uh, we may do it one day I, I brew beer for fun so one of these days we may actually um, get back to it and uh, launch a beer company yeah we see a lot of that in north carolina right now yeah i mean the difficulty is in washington dc you can imagine there aren't a lot of areas where you can actually have a um, production facility, and they're very out of the way and expensive, and so it's a major undertaking. Yeah, but come on, you you, you can hop up into Maryland or Virginia or something. You got so you got some room to work with there. Come on. <laughs> um, so now, Bobby, uh, tell us a little bit about the the new book that you're working on. Uh, that that uh, hopefully will be a big help to entrepreneurs. Yeah, so what I what I have envisioned is to create a book that isn't dry and boring, uh, which is part of the problem with this. It I know is, this is it's such an exciting uh, area that uh, people you know this it's very riveting. But go ahead. Yeah, but so so part of the idea I think is to, to use examples of how you, this can destroy your company if you don't fix it. 
Um, but to basically give people a full uh, – think of it as a playbook that will tell them what they need to know about intellectual property. They can revert it to the relevant sections when they have a question. But it will get them to the point that they understand what the issues are and can identify a potential problem. And maybe then they decide they need to talk to a lawyer or maybe they decide they need to do more research. But it will at least give them a full you know, spectrum to know what the potential issues are. So sort of give them some foundation for when they should be engaging professionals and uh, starting to write those checks. Yeah. So, well, that sounds good. What, uh, when, when, when should we expect to see it? Hopefully by the end of the year. Um, I, I have one other thing I'm working on right now, which I'm developing an online course, which will do much of the same things, because I think there are a lot of people who would rather not just have a book, but actually have a kind of an online course with videos and slides. And so I'm working on that first. And then once that's finished, I will get back to the book, which is about halfway done at this point. Well, good. Well, you sound, you seem, you seem like a busy fellow. I mean, it's probably not a lot going on in Washington, DC these days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not by K street, so don't associate me with that. (laughs) (laughs) So, just, uh, as, as we wind things up, there any other advice that you would leave, uh, leave us with for, for new business owners or people starting their own business? It sounds like you've been through, uh, through that ringer. Any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? My advice is not really IP-related. It's just a more general uh, thought, which is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, I, I've tried to live by that concept and I have to remind myself of that quite often. Uh, I, I relaunched my website around the beginning of the year. I'd been sitting on it for about eight or nine months because I wanted to perfect a couple of things. But the new website was much better without me perfecting those things. So I should have just launched it way back a year ago. Um, so just take action and you know try to find the best option you can based on your budget and go with it. That's the advice I give. Well, I, I think that's uh, pretty good advice. And then I, I suspect Byron and I, 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 I know in the conversations we've had, and, and Byron can probably speak of this too, sometimes people want to work on that perfect business plan before they start their business. And instead of you know, sitting uh, sitting at home working on the plan, they need to be out there actually talking to customers and selling things to customers and getting customer feedback. Is yeah. that uh, is that your experience, Byron? It is. Sometimes we have to settle for good enough and go on yep. to the next issue. Yep, I think that all makes perfect sense to me. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder: you're listening to the Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Well, well, Bobby, if uh, I, I was looking at your website uh, a little before we uh, spoke today, and there, there look like there's some pretty good resources out there for potential entrepreneurs. How, if, if people want to reach out and find you, how can they uh, get, get up with you? Well, the best way is my website, and that's clinkllc.com. 
and Clink is spelled K-L-I-N-C-K. Uh, on my website, I have a bunch of free resources. I give my books away for free. Uh, I don't look to make money by selling books to people. Um, I, I also have kind of the IP Academy where I have some information. Um, I also have a blog where I address various issues that, that I think are relevant to entrepreneurs, including sometimes things that aren't IP related, just my random musings about uh, entrepreneurship or a book I read that I enjoyed. But it's all entrepreneur focused. So, so that's the first place. I have a course that they can take on IP planning, which is at clinkllc.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and so th- those are the primary ways. And on social media, Twitter is the best way. And I'm at Bobby Clink. And, and, and you um, just uh, focus your uh, things on entrepreneurship and uh, uh, IP or do you like point out good craft beer or what? Uh, where do we find that out from you? <laughs> There will be some beer-related issues on my uh, tweets, especially when I travel for business. I often try to go to local breweries or at least have some local beer, and you may see some comments about that on um, my Twitter feed from time to time. <laughs> well, very good. Well, look, we very much appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today and, and uh, uh, sharing some really good information with our listeners on who, who might be starting something or looking to – protect their their assets or their ideas so so thank you so much for uh, for joining us today well thank you for having me yeah thanks a lot bobby we enjoyed it yeah it's been great now we usually wind up our podcast with uh with our small business of the month feature and 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 bobby's in washington so i can't see you bobby i don't know if you have anything that you'd like to share or not well i'll give a shout out to a a new restaurant in my neighborhood which is called millie's dc uh, and, it's in the Spring Valley area, and it is a fantastic new rabbit restaurant. Maybe I shouldn't give them a shout out because it's been too busy already. <laughs> but I want to make sure it succeeds and sticks around. And, and what part of DC are you in? So I'm in what's called AU Park. Um, it's uh, the upper northwest area. I'm literally the end of my block here in Maryland, but um, I'm in the district itself, and it's kind of an area where the American University Law School used to be there. It's now moved about a half mile away, but I'm, I'm right where the American University Law School used to be. Okay. I, I, I spent some time uh, living up there in Arlington and Bethesda, so I'm, okay. I, I, know the, I know the area you're talking about. So, yeah. so anyway, and that, was, that was Millie's, D.C.? Yep. All right, and, and so if you're if you're traveling in that area, you're living in that area, check it out. But try not to, you know, you know, make sure make sure that Bobby can still get his table when he goes to goes to eat there as well. I think I'm ready to road trip up there and try it. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, 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 luckily, if you if you go a little bit late, I have a three and a half year old, so I'm usually uh, done by the time a lot of people are going and enjoying it. So uh, <laughs> just don't go at about five thirty. How about that? No, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to I'm going to share my small business of the month and 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 I don't I'm gonna, do you guys you guys either you guys own a tux? Yes. You you own a tux? Yes. yes. I mean, not everybody owns a tux. I mean, some people rent tuxes and it's around prom season. But anyway, I I was um, you know, cruising around and and came across uh, a company that I thought was pretty cool online. It's called the Black Tux T U X, which was uh, which really has taken the entire 
rental process of tuxedos online as opposed to you having to necessarily search out those rental companies. Uh, it was started in 2013 by two fellows, uh, Andrew Blackman and Patrick Coyne, who were friends, and one of them was getting married and had a very bad experience going through the whole rental tuxedo process. So they moved the whole thing online. Uh, so they're renting suits and tuxes from higher quality fabrics and that they're sourcing from Italian mills. Uh, and they're renting suits and tuxes for 95 to $110. And uh, they're really upscale type stuff. And they have a very interesting process where uh, they will, uh, once you sign up, they'll send you the suit or tux two weeks before your event. So if it doesn't fit properly, you have time to return it to them. And, and they've got some specialists that will work with you to make sure it gets sized properly. You're required to mail it back to them two days after your event or you get charged extra. Uh, but uh, it seemed like a really interesting business idea and another way that uh, online is uh, uh, impacting more traditional ways of doing business. Uh, they're doing around $2 million a month in sales this year, so they're trending toward $24 million a year in sales. So wow. I just thought that was just an interesting uh, business to, to give a shout-out to, and you can find them at www.blacktux.com. If you, uh, you know, if you guys are going to the prom this year, or if you have any important, you know, Bobby might have a need for some black tie events up in Washington more so than we have in, in beautiful Western North Carolina. We'll be getting out the hiking books soon and, uh, and, and getting outdoors. But, you know, you, you might be hobnobbing with uh, important people up there, Bobby. <laughs> well, I'll keep it in mind, although I try to avoid all black tie affairs just on a matter of principle. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well... Uh, again, I want to thank uh, Bobby Kling for joining us today. I want to thank Byron Hicks for uh, sitting in and, and uh, co-hosting. If uh, any of our listeners have suggestions for the Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, they can email us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And if we use your idea, you'll get one of our Entrepreneur Exchange prize packages. We want to thank The Mesh for uh, uh, hosting us and hosting our podcast. You can download us at themesh.tv, or you can subscribe to the Entrepreneur Exchange at the iTunes Store. So, again, thanks, guys, for uh, listening. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll look forward to talking with you again next month. Have a good one. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.